You're listening to the world's only pro wrestling podcast, the VIP Lounge, bringing you the best in pro wrestling, new school guests, interviews, and opinions. Brought to you by ReeseRyanBrand.com. And here's your host, the VIP champion, the king of swag, Reese Ryan. What is going on, you guys? Welcome to episode seven of the VIP Lounge podcast, independent pro wrestling podcast with me, Reese Ryan. So, you know, we've come so far since we started off this thing at the start of lockdown. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have learned so much. Uh, it's been great speaking to like this who's who of uh, current independent pro wrestling. Um, looking back at the back catalog, we've had some amazing names. We started off with none other than Big Guns Joe. Um, he's doing all the right things in independent wrestling right now. We then moved on and we've had guests like Ricky Knight Jr. We have had Matt Myers on the recent podcast. And now we've got the professional Nathan Cruz. And next week, one of my personal favorites in, in all of British wrestling, we have got, ladies and gentlemen, none other than Dean Olmark. He's going to be greeting me on the VIP podcast. It's going to be awesome to speak to him about everything. He he's it feels like he's been in British wrestling just for so long. So he'll have so many incredible, incredible stories to tell. Uh, this is the first ever two part podcast on the VIP Lounge. I was doing this interview with Nathan Cruz, and we we were just shooting the breeze, and there was so many things to get through. And you know what? I had a real hard time trying to cut anything out. So I thought, hey, you know, <laughs> I'll keep it on here, un unfiltered, uncensored for you guys. Um, this is such an amazing study, not just for, you know, a fan, but also for if you're wanting to be a professional wrestler, if there are things that you want to learn from the inside, then I suggest you sit down and you listen to this podcast because this guy has taught some of the best people uh, coming through at the moment. Uh he has seen it all and he's really really come through from a time when the scene wasn't booming like how it is now so um you know he's so 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 experienced got so many it was such an amazing mind as well i think compared to like most people on the independent circuit as well i think if you had to say someone who just gets it psychology wise and the things that you just you know it takes a little bit longer to pick up nathan cruz has got them down so I'm not going to flap my gums for too much because there's so much amazing content to get to. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Reese Ryan. As I say, you can please check out ReeseRyanBrand.com for all merchandise. You can check out my match footage, uh, recent news, all things like that over on there. So any support is really, really appreciated. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here he is, Nathan Cruz. Hey, what's going on, man? Yeah, not so bad. Thanks for having me on, man. How are you? Uh, how are you getting on with lockdown? How how are you feeling? Um, I, I, I honestly like the last couple of weeks. I'd say it's been starting to get to me a bit of cabin fever. Um, you know, I love my fiance to death, but I, you know, prolonged time together. Even we found that you know we're starting to clash on little things, and like the other day, we just agreed that we'll have like a day where you know, we're in separate rooms or doing different stuff, just because we could tell we were starting to annoy each other. Um, 
so there's that and there's the stress of not being able to work and like i got my i'm self-employed so i got this self-employment grant come through but that was a lot less than we was originally predicted so now i'm kind of in panic mode searching for a shoot job which you know that's soul destroying i've worked my entire life to be able to do this full time and i've been fortunate that my entire adult life i've pretty much done this for my job and now i'm having to get a, a normal job that kind of sucks like i don't really like that it's just yeah i uh, i suppose that you've just got to keep thinking that um once it gets sorted and you know everything goes back to normal hopefully you'll be straight back where you where you were so it's not like you're it's not like you're signing yourself off forever, I suppose. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm hanging on my boots or anything like that. It is like I can get back to it at some point, but it's just, you know, I'm kind of concerned of how much is it gonna be difficult for me to start juggling a day job and you know the demands of the, that requires, and then obviously the demands of my career and stuff like that, especially when it comes to overseas work and stuff like that, because. I still get a few opportunities. I've, I've had an email the other day about doing some shows out in Tennessee, Arizona, um, and and like it's just one of them that I'm like, yeah, I want to do this, but you know, I, I have to look at my phone. I, you know, I've got a mortgage, I've got a car, and you know, there's a bunch of other stuff that I've gone on in real life that just stands in the way of that sometimes, and I hate that that's going to have to be a situation I'm going to have to deal with. But this, you know, who saw this coming? Well, I, I wish you all the best with that. Um, you've said about your, uh, you know, you brought up your career there. Uh, so I, I've done my research, Nathan, but if anything isn't correct, let me know, because I'm aware of how uh, Wikipedia can often be, uh, can be not right at all. But uh, as far as I'm aware, you're 29 years old. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, 1030 in September, September 10th. And uh, your debut was August 2006? Correct. August 26th. Yeah. Wow, so that's 16 years ago. So, so um, tell me, uh, for, well, first of all, um, obviously that's a long time ago. Can you tell me a little bit of how the scene was different back then, like when you first started? Have you got any memories of that? Yeah, uh, it was 14 years ago. That's that adding years to me just yet. I don't know. Years. I'll be, I'll be breaking <laughs> down. Um, no, yeah, it was it was very different then. Like as 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 daft as this sounds like it might be hard for people to really get their head around this but the internet was still in its i'd say it's, it's juvenile stage it wasn't a case of that we had access to so many training schools that had like facebook pages or anything like that or even myspace pages back then it was hard to find a wrestling school and you know a group of friends matt myers being one of them um we was searching for a wrestling school forever you know we decided at a very young age that we wanted to do this um we got a wrestling school come to hull um Red, oh god i call it a wrestling school i use that term loosely um but we didn't know you know we the research wasn't available to us and it, uh, we'd seen their shows well i knew they were small town because i'd watched all star city hall and see how well they i know i've been to events like one pw and things like that i knew you know what the bigger shows looked like but i also understood there would be these smaller shows and these do the right 60 people but i knew uh, you know 60 people seemed pretty decent then and uh and i remember during you know on the night of my debut for there was about 60 70 people in that venue i couldn't believe it like that that was amazing to me i, I thought it was packed you know and the venue to be fair was pretty much close to capacity but that's how different the scene was and it was you know, to try and find local independent promotions was a lot more difficult than it is these days. The, I don't think there were so many around, and you know there was you had rip-off merchants. So you know, unfortunately, I was uh, 
a victim of in, in, in where I started training. Um, but by hook or by crook, I managed to, to make a career out of this. So it can't be that bad. Well, it, it's it's awesome as well that um, on the last podcast I had your 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 best friend Matt Myers and uh, he he went on and, and talked about kind of uh, that start as well in, in the industry um, and then obviously you guys went on to form NGW correct? Um, I wouldn't say for like Luke who originally founded Luke Ingemels he he'd also trained at NGW actually my tag team uh, he'd also trained at PW sorry and he was actually my tag team partner at the time. And we, uh, he had this idea, and I was very much on board for it. Don't get me wrong; I was very encouraging of it. But at the time, like my focus, and it, it sounds selfish, but I had to be selfish. At the time, my focus was more about my career. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted to support him, and yeah, of course, I'll work for it. And I'll uh, any any talent that you need, like I'll have a look around and have a word with some of the people I know. But at that time, I just started getting my name out across Yorkshire, Ligero just taking in, taking me under his wing and was teaching me and stuff. So I saw it as an opportunity where somewhere else that I can, you know, make mistakes and, and work on my craft. But I did, yeah, I wanted to support a friend, but I wouldn't say I was, at that point, I wasn't involved in the creative or anything like that. That came later on when Rich Dunn came in. And, you know, I saw the potential NGW had, but it, it definitely, like been wasting that in its first year um but at the start i was just kind of along with the ride we'd all left pw at that point like so i was just uh i was focusing mainly on my own career as, as a professional wrestler so um so obviously like you say you started out kind of at the uh you know a bit of a rocky start with uh but you like, like you say you didn't know any better you then went and uh and had Ligero uh kind of take you under his wing um and then obviously you start working for NGW uh so with my research Nathan I found in 2011 you won the NGW championship uh yeah. had some like quite high profile matches with like Martin Kirby Dean Allmark uh, Joey Hayes was that in your mind where things started to pick up 2011 um 2010 I'd say because that was the year I got taken on by all-star wrestling which was my biggest ambition in the UK I needed I wanted to be part of that full-time team and uh and also Alex and I did the storyline for the show Stealer um I took the, the name from him at an NGW event in 2010 so that was when things was definitely rolling in the right direction and I was starting to you know I, the Daily Star had a wrestling column at that time and then appointed me their breakout star of the year and you know I was just getting a lot of things in the right direction it was the first time Drew McDonald god bless his soul um he was the talent scout of WWE at the time he saw me and saw something in me and said you know I'll give it a few years I think you're going to be ready for this which instilled me with a huge amount of confidence probably too much confidence than I should have had at 20 years old but you know, that young, full of piss and vinegar. And also that same year was Rampage took me under his wing, you know, and that's like no discredit to Ligero because he taught me a lot, still does. But I consider Rampage the best wrestler this country has to offer, one of the best in the world. And um, and when he took me under his wing, it was, you know, it's probably the biggest learning experience of my, my wrestling career. So definitely 2010. And by, that, by 2011 in NGW, Rampage had gone on to FCW um, in America, so I had all these skills that I picked up from 
from working with all staff and working with so many great people as well, like Robbie Dynamite, who is a childhood hero of mine, Mikey Whiplash, Dean Allmark, as you mentioned, international talent that were coming over from Japan. There was a guy called Shadow Phoenix. He, he trained with Ultimo Dragon. I got to pick up so much things from him. And, you know, that's not to mention people we had coming in frequently, you know, occasionally, like Brookside was still coming around, James Mason, and not to ignore him, Brian Dixon himself, you know, was a wealth of knowledge for me. So by the time they gave me the NGW Championship in 2011, because that was right at the start of that year, I felt like I had a good, a good polished idea of what Nathan Cruz was at that point. I felt very confident that I could be in that position. Um, and there was, yeah, you mentioned some great matches there, but one of my personal favourites was the street fight me and Sam Bailey had. I consider Sam Bailey to be one of the top, most underrated talents in this country. And uh, that match you know, stands out to me as one of my absolute favourites. I think, I am say, I, you can't quote me on this, but I think we were the first people to do the Lego bump. Sam came up with it. He came in with this big bag of Lego the day we had the street fight. I was like, what's this for? He was like... I want to superplex you on it. And I was like, oh, cool, is it, Sam? Um, but yeah, that was, I loved that match. I really did. And the the one with Dean as well, that meant a lot to me because, you know, I, I remember watching Dean at this whole city hall and here I am wrestling him and in a high profile match and one that, you know, I, I felt that we told an amazing story that night. Um, I really, really enjoyed that one. And then funny enough, when I, I lost the championship at the end of the year to Myers, I, that's one of my career highlights. Like I'll never forget. As a, as a you know, as a working villain, you aspire for moments like this. I'm crawling away. The crowd broke the barrier, and they're all hoisting Matty up on his shoulders. I'm turning back. It was like an artist looking, at, you know, at an art gallery and watching people appreciate their artwork. That's how I truly felt about that. So yeah, 2011 was a great year for me within you know NGW and outside of that, it was All Star Wrestling. Uh, got the Haven contract as well as having the Butlins contract that year. So, I, and Brian loved the match that me and Ligero were having. He wanted every Haven campsite to see this. So that summer, I, I I was wrestling an average of ten matches a week against Ligero in a twenty-minute match where we was just going. You know, I could I liken it to a WCW cruiserweight match back in the day, and it was. Uh, it was just amazing. I got in such good ring shape and just my, my timing and all those things that really, really matter really honed down for me that year. It was the busiest year I had. I had a, you know, everything in my life was was really good at that time. And uh, I look back at that year as you know, a really successful year, both in my, you know, my personal and, and professional life. You know, uh, that's fantastic hearing about that. And, and I think that you speak for everybody as well who's aspiring to be a wrestler, that working for somewhere like All, All Star is always a huge, huge goal. And uh, for me as well, you know, I, I'd give anything in a few years to be able to work like how you did in, in that kind of um, in that kind of way, particularly wrestling so often. Um, kind of going back to Dean Olmack as well, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, I'm going to speak to him next week. He'll be on the, the podcast. So I'll be able to ask him his side of uh, that, that match that you guys had. But um, going back to All-Star as well, I'd like to speak a little bit more about that. Was that your first um, kind of time working as regularly as that? Was that your first kind of uh, going full time? Is that what sent you full time? Yeah, it was. That was, the, it was that opportunity. So like I'd left school, obviously I debuted when I was 15 and I left school and I went to college and studied acting because it was a, another passion of mine. It was something that I was, you know, not to toot my own horn, but good at. 
Um, and I knew it had helped me with this. And so that was two years where I was like, okay, I've got two years here. And I really don't want to get a normal job at the end of it. I don't really have any plans to go to university. I just saw it. I really dove into wrestling, as I mentioned, and uh, to try and pick that up. And then, yeah, I knew All Star was the place I needed to be because I remember picking up the program when me and Matt used to go watch the shows when we was like teenagers and seeing on the back like their schedule. And I said to Matt at the time, like, if we ever want to make it in this country, this is where we need to be because look at that. Like, that's how you pay the bills. Like, they've got this full-time schedule. And so, yeah, um, I had my first opportunity with them in 2009 in the summer. Now, that summer, I'd say, was the closest I'd been to, like, full-time before that. Um, I was wrestling for RDW at the time, and they ran every Wednesday and every Sunday, and then I'd pick up the odd booking on a, sat- on a Friday and Saturday as well. So I was at least doing five days a week, and then I got an opportunity with All Star Wrestling at one of their Butlin Skegness shows. Brian wasn't there, though, so he didn't get a chance to see me. And then the following year, I got an opportunity to work from at Croydon, and uh, I was 19 years old. At the time, I was working. like I had a, a, a job in a call centre that I'd worked at for like two months at that point. Brian saw me. I went on with Tony Spitfire. All credit to, to Spitty. He, he knew what Brian liked. And he helped put that match together. So it highlighted me at my best. And uh, Brian, next thing I got, a, 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 he asked me for my contact information, gave me it. And uh, next thing I know, he'd offered me the opportunity to go full to like come on the team full time at 19 years old, which enabled me to quit my job. And uh, and that was it. Like it was just, you know, we hit the ground running, that half term run. I'm doing Butlins, I'm doing the town halls, I'm learning from the best people. You know, I'd mentioned that Robbie Dynamite was my childhood hero. You know, five years prior to this, I'm watching him. No, six years prior to this, I'm watching him at the whole City Hall. And now here I am in the ring with him, you know. And I was terrible in that match because I was so nervous. <laughs> Which, looking back, I shouldn't have been. I should have just been like, if there's anyone who can get me through this, it's Robbie Dynamite. But at the time, I was, you know, you get in your own head. Um, but it was, it was amazing. It gave me, you know, this is what all I ever wanted to be was just that working pro wrestler. I just wanted that as my job, and here I am doing it at 19 years old. It was, yeah, it was such a great learning experience for me. Like, I, I can't thank Brian enough. I, I, you know, to this day, I still work for him anytime he asks, and if, so I've got the date available. I'll do it out of loyalty to him because I owe him my career, and I love the man. Like, I genuinely have a love for him. Um, I try his corner. Uh, he's, He's the reason he's been around for 50 years and why he's got, you know, he's so well respected by so many people across the globe. Um, yeah, that I've got such an affection for all-star wrestling and, and the opportunities they gave me. What was it specifically that you think that he liked about you? What What was it that you that he saw in you and um, and how did that change how you do things as the show stealer? Did you kind of like what what did you learn from all-star? Um, it was definitely he, he liked my character. Like he, at, at the time, I was going under the te- the name the prima donna, and sunglasses, feather boas, jacket, all this just this presentation that you look at on a poster, and it's something that's going to stand out. And I knew that Brian would like that, like just looking at what you know he would promote. And um, and you know if there's one thing that I learned so much from Brian, if you ever work for him, he'll he'll hand this into you. Know, Show out show out like he's constantly getting you to show out and you know engage an audience and like i didn't think i you know when i first got that i thought i was showing out enough get there and you find out you're really not and brian really teaches you how to really uh you know hone that skill um and yeah i think that's why it was that brian liked me and he, he saw that i was young and had the potential and i just wanted to work and 
you know, learn. I, I you know, I think he saw the potential in me to make, like, you know, somebody who was going to work for his company for a long time, but also, you know, do good business for him. I, I mean, at least that's my speculation. I know on face value, it was definitely the character that he liked. He loved that presentation of the character. He, you know, he, he fast started putting me on the front cover of his magazines and on his posters and stuff like that. Um, but at first, the funny thing was, Brian, we always saw my potential as a baby face, which I never saw when I was young. I was like, I was nagging him to work as a heel. It's like, oh no, Brian, this is what I'm good at. <laughs> at first, he had me as a, you know, he had me, you know, good looking lad. So he was adamant that I had to be a baby face. But then, you know, eventually, once he saw the character as, as a heel, and it's, you know, like, he, he knew where, okay, yeah, there's, there's money to be made in that. And that was definitely my strength to the point that when I actually approached him to work a baby face for us in 2013, we had to have a bit of a haggle about it, <laughs> which was, you know, but it, yeah, I, it was again going back to it, it. It was that was that was what Brian liked. He loved the presentation of that character, I believe. When you are uh, when we go to present day as well, I know that we're we're bouncing all over the place, but we'll come back to it. Um, now, obviously, NGW has the Butlins camps. Um, do you feel with it kind of going full circle now, and and you are and you at the NGW training school kind of training the people who are going to go on to those those shows? Um, do you think do you guys still use the formula that was tried and tested from All Star? Like, do you do you take that like, um, or or are your shows at Butlins a little bit different? They they are different because but that was what Butlins wanted. That's why they started looking elsewhere is because they wanted to revamp it. They wanted a, a, a different approach to it. They basically wanted Monday Night Raw in a tin, you know, in a tin can. They wanted like an hour's version of Monday Night Raw with general managers and story like a one night storyline. Um, and and even as NGW, like I'm, I told Rich after our second year, you know, we need to change the formula up. We need to do a different show. We need to have two. We always had two shows that we bounced between. We need to have two more now because the holiday makers come back. We don't want Butlins getting stale with us, and they they were super happy with that as well. Um, it is a little different, but there's a lot of the fundamental lessons that I learned at All Star that like, you know, Alex always jokes when he um, he puts me move my matches around sometimes sometimes in the tag sometimes i'm doing the championship one and he always says we, he calls it the nathan cruz factor that he says it doesn't matter what match we put in that ends up being the best one on the card and i just i credit that to the fact that i've worked them for so long now and i know what that audience wants i know how to work them and uh and manipulate them and, and come along for the journey that i want them to come on and i i, I love that i think i love then, especially in those tag matches, like taking people who haven't had that experience and being able to apply stuff. And at the same time, especially tag team wrestling was something that I really dove into in about 2015-16 when myself and Legero got put together at Progress as the origin. And at that time, Revival had been making waves at NXT and Dan, Dash, Cash, White. I'll call him Dan from this point on, just so you know what I'm talking about. He, um, you know, he's a very good friend of mine. He's one of my best friends, and I was always going to him for advice. So to now take that to Butlins and have guys like Kip, uh, uh, Sid Scala, Gabe, Gabriel Kidd coming in and work with us, Amir Jordan and stuff, uh, Robbie X, God, the talent list could go on forever. But to be able to do those tag matches and apply the lessons that Dan has taught me and, you know, apply the lessons that I've picked up working for All Star and, and teach that to some new talent, oh, I definitely see potential in and just have fun and also grow as a performer myself. You know, I, I, 
I can't say enough good things about those camps. Like, there's a reason that you know I'm, I've been doing them for ten years, and it, I openly want to do them. It's not like I go, oh no, I'm now. You know, you have these people who think that they're above it, but you know, I, I when you actually dive into it and and understand the work ethic that goes into it, you know, it's it's taxing. I remember Adam Maxted saying to me at the start of last summer, he was like, God. Neff, how have you done this for nine years? My my back's killing me. And I was like, I just, I don't know, man. I'm like, I've become numb to it. I'm calloused to it. I just love it. <laughs> yeah, I really do. The, um, I, I, going on to when you say that, you know, there are individuals that think that they're above it. I, I um, It's funny because, like, every single person that I've had on the podcast, we've, we've, we've had a chat about the, um, you know, the camp shows. And they all say how awesome they are and how much you learn and things like that. I think the people that have got their their heads screwed on and really want to be a wrestler, not just for the glory of it, they actually just want to be a full-time pro wrestler. They all respect it, obviously. And I think as well with yourself, uh, having Matt Myers on the show last week, he was saying about how he feels that, you know, you are criminally underrated as a performer. Um, and like, um, and considering that you're already quite high profile, that must be a huge compliment. But the thing is, um, with regards to like your storytelling, I think that like, you know, I, I always love a Nathan Cruz match because like you've just got that kind of psychology and that storytelling that not everybody has. Um, and particularly, it, it seems like you've had it for quite a long time because when I was doing my research, I saw about um, NGW after you lost the title to Matt Myers, you then kind of went down a losing streak if that's if I'm correct and then you started like in kayfabe like turning to alcohol and kind of going down the card and it all all with the payoff of kind of turning face down the line when uh when the heel stable arrived that's that's some hefty storytelling for an independent wrestling show like um how did that come about were you kind of there in that process or was that something that like Shane maybe suggested or what what, what went on well, Alex actually won't work with us at that point. Um, and it, yeah, it was my idea. Like, I knew after the title run, like, we needed something else. And Rich really wanted the idea of me and Colossus going into the tag titles after that and, and working with Los Amigos, which was El Ligero and Dara Diablo, which was one of the most entertaining tag teams I've ever watched. Well, I loved that. And I knew that I, I and, and Colossus Kennedy is someone who is my brother. I spent so much time, I had to talk about 2011, just to go back, I saw Colossus that year more time, More. I spent more time with him, sorry, than I did my family, my girlfriend at the time, like, we was attached, because we rode together, we, we annoyed the hell out of each other, but I, you know, again, I loved the guy, like, he, I couldn't drive at the time, I didn't own a car, should I say, like, if it weren't for him, I couldn't go to work, and I owe him that gratitude, like, tenfold and we'd always you know long long journeys back you're getting at like three in the morning that you're approaching the m62 you've got that last hour we always used to talk about storyline ideas all the time and you know we knew that eventually the stable of cruise enterprises was going to break up and uh, that was the feud like i really wanted to do was with colossus and i loved that that would pay off at the end of 2012 that match we went <laughs> we went 20 minutes over our time but i always get I always say it's cool because Rich was the the referee of the match. He's the booker, so he should have told us to go. <laughs> but like I, I, I just loved that. That was my idea. There was like, okay, after this, I get to do the storyline with Colossus. Then what? And I, they want me to come back as a babyface at some point. I think he needs to go on this downward spiral. 
like and at the time like my character is very similar to what you're doing right now like the prima donna began because i was studying acting and teen celebrities were a big thing at the time so me and Ligero made that character from there so it was like i was still understanding that that was nathan cruz at the core was that he had this success at a young age what happens to these celebrities usually who have this success at a young age at some point there's this breaking point where something doesn't go quite right with them and they have a downward spiral like they end up in rehab now drugs is far too strong of a subject to do for our audience base and in in general i thought it would be a bit strong for wrestling but alcoholism is something that i felt that we could approach because we could do it very tamely no, it wasn't going to be so in your face with it, but it was obvious that this guy's got an issue here. And uh, and I felt like it was something that we did manage to pull off right. I wasn't, I was purposely going out there, not trying to have the stellar main events that I'd been having the year prior in 2011 when I was the champion. And I wanted to go out there. And, you know, there was a match we had with Robbie X where I, I like, we, we do a little bit and then because he makes me look daft, I just snap and beat the hell out of him. The match has to get thrown away. Like that's, and that was all my idea. Like I want to do that instead of going out and having this best match because it's going to progress the storyline. And I, I, to me, I've always had that mentality and I, I can't, you know, I always say it was Liggs really installed it into me because you could, it's like writing a story in a book. You could know every single word in the English vocabulary but if you don't know where to place it, it's just gibberish. And I liken wrestling to the same thing. Like you could know all the wrestling moves in the world, every reversal, every high spot that there is. But if you don't know where to put them, it ain't gonna make sense, and you're not gonna have the audience on this emotional journey. That you know, that's what we sell at the end of the day. It is sports entertainment, and I think sometimes like sometimes gets lost in translation with people that they just think, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to do this cool. It's good, but you know, there's a reason that. I've been around for 14 years and touch wood, the worst injury I had has only taken me out for six weeks, but I've still, eh, for six months, sorry, but I've still been able to have a career that's, um, you know, been as successful as it has been and, and as long as it has been. And that's because I understand, you know, I'm not saying that I know it all yet. You never stop learning, but I've got a good grasp of psychology and storytelling. The um and obviously when you say about your um your longevity, Ligero's also obviously had that. And I remember um oh, how old was I? I must have been about fifteen, sixteen. I had a seminar with him, and there's one thing that really sticks with me. Um, and it you know it must have really uh, been quite poignant if I still remember it. But I remember him saying about how you you obviously think of him as this like daring high flyer who does all this crazy stuff, right? But he said that like literally. If you're going to do a dive to the outside of the ring, if you tease the dive, but then the heel cuts you off and obviously gets the heat from it, but then you kind of move on um, or, or whatever, the crowd is still going to think that they saw a dive because you went for it. And like, how crazy is that? I, rem- I, I was just sat there and I was like, oh, my God, like, that's so dope because you're not hurting yourself. But like, you've still got the same payoff, if not more, because you've now got, got the heat. And I... I you know i'm so envious of you being under his learning tree for so long because i had like two hours with him and i learned that so imagine what you must have <laughs> honestly he was he was it was one of the best learning experiences i ever had and we had so much fun doing it as well like going out there and, and wrestling each other um so good like and, and it's true like and he helped me when i became a baby face and then understanding like people would say you know i was a bit of a they'd say he's a roller slash high flyer I'm like high flyer i do a springboard crossbody 
that is it. You know what I mean? You might see me do a, a Frankenstein from the top occasionally, but that is it. But because again, I, like that lesson you just said there about leagues and you know little ones that I, I picked up from him along the way, that is a, a way you can make people think about what you do in the ring. I, another great example of it to me would be Chris Jericho, and he's been probably my biggest influence on my career. And he's a great example of that. Like he knows how to make people what he knows what he wants the perception that he wants to put put out there, and he knows how he, he's going to make the audience think that. And it's when you understand that and you start learning that yourself, um, and you watch somebody as good as him do it, it it blows your mind. It really does. It blows your mind, and it's things like and still to this day, like I watch little things that he does in AEW and how he's reinvented himself for like the hundredth time and still be, you know, the most over guy in pro wrestling after 20 years. And I'm like, he's a genius. Like I'm just watching stuff he'll do in the ring. And like, he really is a genius. Like he's so clever. And I always, yeah, again, I, I kind of went off topic there, but yeah, that's, I always go back to Ligero was the one who really started to open my mind to that, that way of thinking and that approach to wrestling there's no surprise he's where he is and you know i'm sure he's going to be when we get out of, of, of lockdown i'm sure he's going to be going on to some amazing things within nxt uk and, and i'd love love to see him go further within the company to be honest because he's you know his, his understanding of what we do is is criminally underrated i think the um I, I now before I say this, I've got to give the general disclaimer that I say all the time because I told this to Stevie Knight and it made him feel so old. But um, I explained to him how the first time that I was exposed to wrestling was I watched Hell in a Cell 2010. That was the first <laughs> time that I watched wrestling. But anyway, that that so when I was a kid, I that was what I had. I had John Cena, The Miz, uh, The Nexus. I remember and things like that. But like I never kind of got on to like appreciating wrestling for wrestling until I wanted to do it so I only had like two years as a fan like I just kind of loved it so much that I was like damn you know I want to do this so I kind of then jump on to getting onto the inside you know starting with a local uh training school but um my point is like I never kind of I didn't grow up through the Monday Night Wars or anything like that but now that I'm going back to watching that stuff I watched the match recently um and obviously it's, it's awful what happened and everything but Chris Benoit uh, versus um, it was Bret Hart and it was Owen Hart's tribute show on WCW yeah. and uh, they had an incredible match and I remember sitting there watching it and my 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 uh, partner hates it because they're just like oh turn it off it's gone on for half an hour it's just the same match but I'm here and I'm like oh my god like this is happening and the way that they build it and things is so dope and like they're two people that I'd consider so good at telling stories within using their their wrestling actions like Shawn Michaels and Triple H, two of my favourite storytellers to study, but they're very good at making the theatrical side of it so dramatic and investing in a story like that. Taker as well would be well up there. But I always looked at, at Brett and, and Benoit and Jericho. Those guys are really good at making them stories come across from their moves. And then one of the things I always teach students is, and I, I hate, I say, don't talk to tell your story. So if I give them a, a, like a, a particular story I want them to get over in their training match, don't verbalise it. The moment you verbalise it, I'm stopping the match because not every, always wrestle every match as though you're in a stadium and somebody up in the cheap seats in the stadium isn't going to hear you talking. And also that isn't what we do. Like The very core of what we do is physical theatre. 
So you should be able to portray that by your body language and things like that. You know, I, I, I know you've trained with me a couple of times and I say, like, imagine a match just comes up on the ring. That's how it starts. And within the first, you know, the first five seconds, you should know who's who by just the way they carry themselves. Um, you know, I, I, something I've always carried myself as a, as a, as a villain with. Um, and when I was working as a babyface, one of my biggest influences for that was Dean. You said you're going to have him on the podcast. I, I love watching Man and Dean's matches back because back in the day when you'd only have so much time on YouTube, <laughs> Dean would upload his match to make sure we have the time for all the match. He'd cut the entrances out. And so that was a real good example of it. Like it'd come up within the first five seconds. You're looking at Dean, who's got this big smile on his face. He just looks like he's the happiest guy in the world just to be there. He's got this rapport with the audience. And there's me there with my head up, smug, just, you know, working my hair or whatever it might be. Instantly, you know who's who. You know you want to be behind. You know you want to hit. And the story's already starting to establish itself. Um, and it's just, yeah, again, I've gone on a bit of a tangent there, but the little skills that I just think are so beneficial and sometimes get lost. Um, and I, going back to your point, I'd say Benoit and Brett are two of the best people you can watch for applying those stories to their just their wrestling matches. Like, I, I mean, Brett is just phenomenal. You know, I could list about 10 Brett Hart matches off the top of my head straight away that are just so good for the storytelling. Um, well, when you say about the, you know, the tangent of, uh, of you teaching these trainees, let's let's follow that down because I was going to speak about that a bit later on anyway. Um, so, you know, you've seen a lot of kind of new wrestlers come and go, um, you know, more some with more potential than others. But um, what are like the five main things you always see people like when they start out? that they're doing incorrectly or like questions that new wrestlers always ask. And like, you must see it time and time again, like these things that kind of when someone's just getting in, you know, and, and, and you think to yourself and you're like, man, this comes up all the time. Have you got anything like that? Yeah. The number one would always be the go. They come in with the idea of a character and I'll hold my hands up and say, I was guilty of that when I first started training. And then you, 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 as you start training, you you'll start watching wrestling in a different way. You'll understand that, okay, that isn't going to be me because that isn't my style of wrestling. That isn't what, you know, what I always tell them, you know, don't worry about that. Like, let's focus on the, on the basics. Let's learn how to wrestle. Let's learn all the fundamentals. Then when we start progressing, we kind of see what type of wrestler you're going to be. Then we can start thinking about what character you're going to be because it's, it really is the last piece of the puzzle. It's one of the most, if not the most important part of the puzzle, but it is the last part. You need to find out what type of wrestler you're going to be. And I always see that with students coming in. And it, that is also a good marker to me of how I'm going to judge if they're going to do well at this. Because there's those who are coachable and then there's those that aren't. And those that will just go, oh, yeah, but. It's like, well, you're already saying yes, but there's an excuse already. This isn't going to end well for you in the long term. As where then you have those people who will just listen to you. And respect the fact that you have been, you know, you know what you're talking about. You've been around long enough to be able to, to, to be a trainer. And then they take that in lessons and then you see where they go. And then when that time comes to help them with the character, like I can be there. But it's one of them as well that I always say that you, I'm a, I can be a trainer to you. And I can definitely show you the basics and stuff like that. But there needs to come a point where you have to start coming up with ideas yourself. And then I can coach you. That's when you really become a good wrestler because... If I, you know, the, the worst thing is when a, is a trainee comes up to me and goes, oh, I need to, you know, what can I do here at this point? I'm like, oh, have you got any ideas? I'm like, no. 
like, I, I, I can either, and Ligero was the one who taught me this, look, I can either give you the fish or I can teach you how to fish. And I have always applied that lesson to my students. Like, I'll teach you how to fish. You come to me with the ideas, we'll coach it and see what's the best way to do it. And, and you know, some things might work, some things might not. But, yeah, you do see things like that come through the training school. And, you know, people, especially younger students who might come in and they have an idea of just, oh, I, when can I start doing this move? When can I start doing that move? It's like, look, just wait, man. Just and soon enough you'll realise that you probably don't need to do this stuff anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you'll be able to get more after building to doing a decent headlock takeover, providing your stories, right? But yeah, it's just yeah, you get those things come through the school all the time. The um something else that I like to touch on as well is that for for me personally, the two people uh, who I have learned so much from whilst being in matches with them have been Joe Hendry and Rampage Brown. Uh, yeah, so th- those two guys, I feel like I've learned so much from. Uh, and Joe Hendry, when he kind of um, when we were planning the the match, something that he did that that I, I hadn't experienced before was he didn't plan the moves, he planned the the situations, like the kind of um, you know almost like little checkpoints in a video game, like uh, right, okay, so we get to this point and this happens, like like you know he planned it like a story. How do you go about kind of putting your matches together? Is that something similar? Because I imagine that, you know, with you being quite um, dynamic in your uh, kind of character and stuff, like how, walk me through how you prepare. That's the, I have the same approach um, because the moves are so minimalistic to what we do. It's how you get to them. Do you know what I mean? Like you can make anything an earfall providing you've built it to it perfectly and you've got the suspense and things like that that all matters so much more so i'm the same approach as as joe when i piece it together it's almost like a paint by numbers and i need to get the picture together first before i start adding the color and the the moves is the color everything else is the layout of it and i want to know if right okay you know well we'll, so we need to get this bit and then you get near fall and then we'll work towards this near but maybe a bit of back and forth there what do you think you know and i always love working together with people on that i hate it when you know, somebody just relies on me to give them the entire match or vice versa. If, you know, I come to somebody and they're like telling me what to do. I'm like, well, first of all, you know, there was a time in my career that I couldn't really say anything. I'd just sit there and go, yeah, okay. And, you know, it may have been a case that I just wanted to, like, and just listen to them. But then there's also points where it was just like, well, I don't do that. Do you know what I mean? I've gone into arguments with friends over stuff about, like, they wanted me to do certain moves. And I'm just like, it's not a move I do. You know, I don't do a trapping lariat. What's the point? You know, we're just little things like that. But I have the the same approach to, to, to this as, as Joe does. Like the moves are so minimalistic in the end. It's the moments that matter. It's the moments that people will remember. And to create, make those moments, you know, last a long time in people's minds. It's the build how you get to it. The suspense that you make and want it so that when it pays off, they're like, yes, that happened. Oh, that was amazing because of like, they had me on the edge of my seat. Everyone remembers when Sean kicked out of that tombstone. It wasn't the tombstone. It was the build to get into that tombstone. Everything they'd done before that point in the match. Now, that's just a small example of it. But yeah, there's definitely the same approach to it when it comes to piecing a match together. I've never, um, I've never actually asked anybody in the industry about this, but I assume that uh, that you'll think it's cool. Um, for me, obviously, I, I work heel um, mostly anyway, um, and obviously the heel's job is to put the the baby face over, like you know, make them look good. And I remember, I can't remember who it was, but I was having a chat with a with a guy. I was about to do a match with them, and um, 
and they wanted me to take this move that was a little bit kind of hokey, a little bit, um, I think it was like coming out of a corner. I've, I've not done it before. And I was kind of a bit weird about how it would look. And I just, I respectfully just said, oh, well, is it okay if we swap that out for like, for a big back body drop or something? I can make the really big sell on that. I'll make you look really good on that. Was that, was that shitty of me? Or like, is that okay? Because for me, I know that like, I can take that move super well. I can make them look really good. You know, the big like Ric Flair back body drop, you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I kind of felt bad, like, oh, I hope I wasn't like disrespectful there. But all that I was trying to do is make sure that I could do my job right. Like, where, what do you think on that? I mean, if as long as if, if you're concerned that you would mess the other move up and you don't want to make them look bad, like I'd always err on that side of caution. Like, say, if, if it was a case that you haven't been get, given the opportunity to get in the ring beforehand and, and try it or anything like that, and you're worried that this is going to make them look bad and going to come off as well, but you know you've got something that is going to make them look good. I think you're well within your right, and as long as you've explained that to them, um, that's that's absolutely fine in my in, in my mind. Do you know what I mean? Um, some people may say differently. I doubt they would, because you know, to me, uh, the, the from my experience within wrestling, the primary is to make sure we are we both come out of this looking good and both come out of it safe and un, you know uninjured, so that we can work the next night. Um, so yeah, like I think he was well in the right there to answer your question. So let's let's try and uh, let's move back. Uh, so obviously, originally we were speaking about your career kind of chronologically, but then we uh, we took the tangent. Uh, so if we go back to 2012, uh, you started with uh, Progress Wrestling, uh, and now you know that that's kind of grown really well. Um, can you tell me what it was like at the start with Progress? Was that the first time that you've you you worked down in London, or was that? Uh, um, no, I'd worked, I'd done some stuff with like FWA, um, or events that Alex had put on around London and I'd done obviously All-Star and Croydon, um, but yeah, on oh, Gravesend, which is technically still part of London, but yeah, like, that was my first time like going into like the city city of it and I don't like London <laughs> and the, the approach we all had, so it was like me, Laguerre and Colossus in the car and uh, I remember the show actually sat in the middle of like an all-star run for us like that Sunday should have been a day off during that half-time run I think it was and then you know we'd all been approached now at the time you'd have these startup promotions come up to you all the time and so in our minds just like god this place you know I mean we got that show on Sunday so we're going in with our our eyes rolling I wish you did we'd film that car journey on the way there and then the car journey on the way back because it was fast apparent to us, we were all on. This isn't what we thought. This is we're going to be a part of something here because these guys have got their heads screwed on. That fan base is awesome, and you know, I the atmosphere in that that venue was next to not. Like I remember finishing the match with Colossus and knowing that I was going on to the final, and I remember going up to Marty Scale. God, I can't thank him enough for all the help he's given me over the years. But he was. You know, I said, Mike, what, what are we going to do here? Because he and Zach had just gone out and had a stormer. It was amazing. And uh, and I knew we was going to be the final two. I was like, that, that audience is going to expect something here. Like, he helped me through that. And that was a big part of my learning experience. Marty really did help me, uh, like, approach. Teach, taught me a new style, almost, and how to work to a more adult-based audience and a smarter-based audience and progress and get, the reactions that I wanted out of them as well. Marty was really good at helping with that, like that final that we did 
uh, that night of night one of chapter one sorry and then the two out of three falls that we did at chapter two to this day is still one of my favorite matches more so because i'll look back at it with that acknowledgement in my mind of that helped me a lot that helped me go to the next level um and scale for all the times i've worked with him has always been so giving he's so good at coming up with ideas to help me look good in the ring as well as himself and that's even when he's working as the baby face but he knew in that match for example like well nathan's a champion and he's going to be remaining the champion after this so i've got to make him look like a champion right he understood that and he taught me a lot of that as well like the, some of the right times when it's good for a heel to come across as as good like darth vader has to show he can fight to be a threat right so that was little things like that that I'd, I'd pick up from work with Marty. Those chapters, like those two chapters in particular, I look back on with such fondness because it was I was coming back after chapter two and saying to Jim, like, when are you guys going to run more often? Because I want to do this and I, you know, I could do this three days a week. This is amazing. Like I absolutely loved it. I had so much fun at progress in that first run. I learned so much. I grew as a performer. Um, it taught me a lot. It, it just was a a really good time in my career like I loved I I was buzzing to go to London which is not often that I would that, that I would ever say that sentence can you tell us a little bit more specifically about uh what Marty said to you going into that match I'd, I'd like to know kind of you know because if you were getting in your own head there you know what kind of things did he teach you about uh with those at that adult audience it was just the structure of stuff and like how to make them more the you know like things certain things that you could just get away with that you necessarily like and a more uh, skeptical audience of just like your regular fans you know family goers going to watch entertainment would see right through you know they watch the wrestling fans look at stuff with rose tinted glasses so you can push the barrier a little further with that stuff and you know they're willing to suspend their disbelief further than what you know a dad who's taking his kids to watch a show he already thinks what we do is a load of shit and he's you know got that approach to it already so you now have to make sure everything's so convincing and so like just a different approach in that regard is where a progress audience will respond to somebody kicking out a tombstone pile driver as where somebody else would you know that dad that i just mentioned be just like he just got dropped on his head you know do you get what I mean? Like, so Marty really kind of gave me those skills to like understand when's the right time to use that stuff and how to build stuff. And like, he that that's just one example. But he also just he's so good at making moments. Like, you think of Marty Scale and you think of him just shouting chicken wing and just his appearance and things like he knows how to make get those things over and he he taught me a lot of that stuff like at that time period that i was able to apply to to what i was doing as nathan cruz and like things that i might be trying out and he's like lose that but keep this because that's more memorable than that and you know that doesn't really matter just little things like that and he was teaching me about how to evolve my character a bit better and devise like this this adult sh- show version of nathan cruz this the camp show version of nathan cruz there's the the ngwo uh, town hall show for all-star version of nathan cruz they're all three different versions of the character but at the core they're the same character 
it's just on this projection and you know Marty was very good at, at, at helping me find that particular that adult version you know that adult old audience version of just it was a match structure that was just new to me like I'd not really had that opportunity and he'd worked for RevPro for so long that he you know he had it down to a fine art I was very lucky that I got to work with him in those first two chapters the uh I've, I've recently been getting more familiar with his work because i uh I, I saw him on nwa i've been watching that i absolutely love the new nwa same uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and uh and because of that because that introduced me to him i've then gone and got myself a ring of honor thing and started watching that because that you know but before this i didn't really think that was my jam like i was kind of like mm, because i'm i like the wrestling where you say like like the dad who's like oh they've just been dropped on their head like i'm more into that kind of thing because like yeah. to me I want that that's just you know I, I I'm not a big fan of these constant near falls and uh, don't get me wrong I respect it so much I think it's incredible what these guys do but it's just it's just not my cup of tea it's not your cup of tea yeah and that that's I think something that needs to to be uh, educated more because I was bad for that one time like I I got in my own head I'm very much like you in the regards of I know what I like in wrestling and it, I got in my own head that those matches with all the near falls and high spot well that's bad do you know what i mean such a like look back on that such a negative approach that i should you know it hindered me and my progression that i should never have thought like that i shouldn't there was certain advice that i took that shouldn't have i shouldn't have taken um wrestling's different it's subjective and that's the that's the beauty of it to me everything's different you know the what you like it might not be what someone else likes, but that's why we all have different, you know, favorite wrestlers and stuff like that. Like there's certain things that I just wish I'd, you know, it's great for me as a trainer now to be able to pinpoint that in somebody that's starting to think like that. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, check this because you don't want to fall into them habits. I've been there and it's bad. You know, it's not going to do you any favors. You need to be open-minded. You may not like Will Ospreay versus Ricochet, for example, that starts with all these backflips and stuff like that. But you cannot deny that this is happening in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is one of the top promotions in the world, and everybody's standing on their feet within the first two minutes of this contest. That tells you something, that there's a market for this, and that audience has suspended their disbelief for this to pay, you know, pay their money to watch it. So that means they're doing something right. It might not be what you like, but that's what makes wrestling cool. Something for everybody. It's a circus. I totally agree. And, and also, if you if you say that you want to be a professional and do it full time, if you if you want to be in an industry, you've got to study all of it, not just what you what you like. Like as a fan, you know, give me John Cena versus The Miz, and that'll be me. But like as a as an actual wrestler, I can't just live off that. You know, like you've got to watch all these other things. And I'm I'm sure that like you say, you'd agree with that. Um, Going back to the progress as well, Nathan, um, was that where you started the screw indie wrestling thing? Um, that was Haskins. So, like, Haskins had seen, he just mentioned to me in a car journey once, we was teaming a lot of that time for, for Brian, and he just mentioned to me in a car journey, I think it was, or it might have been one night in a chalet, he was like, he, he saw the Defend t-shirts, and he was like, wouldn't it be cool if somebody did, like, screw indie wrestling? And they were like the heel group to it, and I was like, that's mint, yeah, that's that's class. And, um, and we you know, spent, we had a, a, at that time, I talk about that negative approach. There's some of those old school mentalities was kind of installed into both me and Mark. And we were like, well, yeah, this would be a great chance to do this because, you know, Mark was full time, I was full time, Rampage was full time. This would be a cool thing to do. And it, 
and to, you know, full disclosure, like I could I could bring up the conversation on my phone right now if I wanted to, with me and Mark Andrews when I first watched him wrestle was at Brit Rest Fest 2012 in London. And I sent him a message the next day saying, I just want to say, like, I saw you last night. I think you're brilliant. Um, I'm going to have a word about you. And I think it was Hitch that I wanted to bring into NGW. Like, I'm going to put in a good word for you with Rich done um, because I, I really like you guys. Um, and so, like, I always was a fan of Mark Andrews. Pete, I didn't know. Admittingly, like I knew Damien because I'd known him for years, but I may have crossed paths with Pete, but it not last, left a, a lasting impression in my mind. So the idea that Haskins and I kind of came up with was we can be the heels, those guys be the baby faces. We make it look like it's a shoot, and we do this at Progress that we eventually saw, you know, do this this payoff of this storyline. Like Haskins had all these ideas of people that he wanted to bring in and stuff like that that I thought was great and. You know, it was just one thing that led to another with it, and I just thought it was a, a really good idea. Um, and like, and I've said this on on podcasts in the past that like there was stuff that I was saying in there that came from a place where I'd, I'd heard these lessons and didn't necessarily agree with it. And one of them would be flying yourself out somewhere, right? I mentioned Dan. Dan flew himself to the UK twice. He would not be my best friend if that was a legitimate grievance of mine. You understand? Like this was something that. He, yeah, it was easy for me to say that as a villain. Um, I know a lot of people got upset by it. Um, you know, I can only apologise that it annoyed certain people with, with what I'd said and stuff like that. But to me, like, yeah, so, I mean, I can only apologise if, if people did get offended by certain things that I said in there. But, you know, it was just, it was it was a character. <laughs> You know what I mean? I was I was enhancing a storyline, and my whole thing was I wanted to get to that blow off, and I wanted, you know, and to, and not that I'm I'm trying to say that it was a good thing because yeah, we should have probably approached them before we did this, which we didn't. We, you know, I did take Mark. I I messaged Mark an inbox after we'd done the show with the t-shirt and just said, I want you to know there's no actual heat here. Like we just have this idea and we think we could make some money from it. And at the time, like, you know, Pete wasn't working at Progress. Like, that was our way of, like, we'll maybe get these guys in. I remember speaking to Eddie Dennis about it as well. Like, I wanted them to know that the, there was no legitimate heat. Like, it was just a, a way of making money. Um, I just, you know, look back at it now that we probably just went about it in a bad way, and I'm sure Mark would agree as well. Rampage, full disclosure for him, he just kind of went on with the ride. He was just like... Oh, I can make money off t-shirts. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like anything that's going to supplement his income, like he was all about. He just had his uh, first daughter at that time, so I completely understand where he was coming from with it. But it wasn't. It was, and there was, like I say, there was a certain principles that we'd been taught, especially that had been handed to me by Rampage, that we were kind of like, well, yeah, this is kind of our mentality towards it, but it isn't. We're not going to hold a grievance against anybody for this. You know, John Schuyler, there's another guy that's a real close friend of mine. He's flown himself to the UK a couple of times. I, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like, I honestly don't mind. My first tour of the United States, like, I had to pay half of my flight. Like, they gave me a contribution on each of my bookings towards the cost of my flight. But I still had to put a little bit to it. I don't actually care. Like, <laughs> I really don't care. <laughs> it was all a gimmick. Well, 
if we stick stick with this as well and you know the kind of the, the heat that you accidentally got with that uh when i was speaking to matt and he you know on the last last week and he said about how you know criminally underrated you are and like you're not working as many places as you should be i said to him and i was like in in your opinion why do you think that is and he said that maybe it's because of like a little bit of heat that you've had before like would you agree with that would you say that maybe you know, you might have rubbed people up the wrong way, and that's perhaps why you're not where you possibly should be. Does that make um, sense? Yeah, I'd say uh, maybe not that the reason why I'm not where I want to be because there's a there's a medical reason behind. Well, it's not where I would necessarily want to be right now, but we can get into that in a bit. But like, yeah, I'd say my attitude back then was like, I don't know how people put up with me. Like, I look back at like in 2012 and 13, I'd, I'd just gone through a breakup with my ex girlfriend, and I was. Uh, the only thing I had was wrestling and and the bad thing about that was and I'm also my, my dog died that year and I, I you know anyone who knows me knows that I, I'm a big animal lover and, and my, my my dog Bruno he was my St. Bernard I'd wanted all my life he was my rock he was he was everything to me so the only way I had a way of you know venting that frustration and, and at least in my mind trying to turn this negative to a positive was wrestling but like the attitude that came with that wasn't good you know what i mean and like i've mentioned earlier i may have taken some bad advice from certain people um but then again like those who really knew me knew that what i was some of the stuff that i was saying and doing was all because i had that mindset of I want people to really believe this is real. I, I want to work everybody with this, and I want to be hit. Like, the same mentality I have as a heel every time I wrestle, that I want people to hate me, right? It was just that with this, we was trying to convince everybody that it was, it was real. You know, a bit like Marty and Spud had done a year prior. Like, they'd done something similar where they made everyone think they had legitimate heat with each other, and, it's, you know, it was just working and making money. And that's kind of what like, I wanted to do with with Screw, and I know at the time at least that was what Mark wanted to do. So it just it all that was where that came from. But did it harm me? No, yeah, no doubt. Like I look back at it and say, yeah, probably did. And you know, some of those old school mentalities of like, don't pay your own own flight. Like it took me a long time to. I'd passed up opportunities in the past. Do you know what I mean? Like going to Japan, for example, I got an opportunity to go and try out for uh it was like a, a dojo there but i would have had to pay my own flight of like 700 pound and i was like i'm not paying that like that's, that's i mean i couldn't afford it at the time but like it was also like yeah, I, thought, no, I shouldn't if you want me like you should pay me over there right that was my mentality towards it um and then like like i said i look back later and like, like we said did my my tour of america and stuff like that where i was happy to pay like half of that had that you know had that opportunity come away and I had that mentality of like yeah we should probably just go along with this and not listen to certain old school teachings that I may have been taught that you know like I said like there was a point in my career that I was able to assess that yeah that was a, a bad a bad like not necessarily I understood where they were coming from because it was an old school thing like back in the day but this is how I, I can now take that and turn it into a positive in my mind with, with Screw Indy was like oh I can I, I know that that's a bad lesson that I kind of got taught in this era anyways. I can make that a villainous thing because a lot of the new generation coming through will see that as a bad thing. 
and okay, so let's roll with that. Do you know what I mean? And you know, the result was because say, I was I was trying to whack everybody with it. Was there was this perception of, of me, but I was difficult to deal with at that time. I was, I was, you know, and I think it was a case of I had passion as well about what I was I was doing. Um, but yeah, Matt is definitely right with that. Well, you know, I, I can really relate to when you say that, you know, you look back at your old mindsets of things and then think, oh, man, you know, I, I've missed opportunities there, etc. Uh, for me, like it's on a much lower level because I'm I'm just starting out. Obviously, you're, you're way ahead of where I am. But I remember that when I first started, because I was at this like small trading school uh, in like a, in this small town, uh, just kind of doing our show, doing our own thing you end up getting this like big fish, small pond mentality. And you think that you're the absolute bee's knees and you're like, oh man, you know, like I am so super talented. I'm going to take this place by storm. Oh, everyone needs to like, you know, whatever. But anyway, like I'm very fortunate that um, I'm still very early on, but I've already kind of ironed out those kinks. So I'm quite fortunate that I haven't done that down the line when I've rubbed too many people the wrong way. I'm still making first impressions with people and, and, you know, I'm a lot more kind of, uh, rightfully so humble than uh, as, as I should be. Um, so yeah, I can totally relate to that. But uh, also moving on, on to a different company as well. You um, you did a little bit with Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling. Uh, how were you approached with that, and and kind of what went on with that? Because it, it didn't it kind of fizzled out, didn't it? it didn't didn't go very long. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs what happened with the business. I was, I was right uh, in regards to my opportunity. Um, I've known Nick a number of years. Like our paths have crossed a couple of times at shows, um, and uh, he knew that. I guess he liked me. I uh, saw something in me, and he knew that I was close with Rampage, and he's got a great amount of respect for Rampage. This is Nick Aldis, isn't it? Nick Aldis, yeah. Um, and so he uh, he just contacted me and said, "Look, I'm working on this with Jeff Jarrett. Um, I've got an event that's on like in Grimsby, which is you know just across the bridge from where I live in in, in East Yorkshire. And he said, uh, you know, I'd, I want someone to promote as as a local talent. Anyways, you're the first person that comes to mind, and I um, I want to put you on with Jeff because I know you're gonna learn a lot and you're gonna appreciate it. And I was like, well, yeah, like absolutely. Um, the, that day was probably the most bizarre day of my life because the morning I regretfully I had to say goodbye to my grandma like it just so happened that the funeral fell on that same day I was like oh great and I woke up with full of cold as well so I've got cold I had to say goodbye to my grandma that was tough go to the wake you know there's family from all across the country that I've not seen some of them in years like my cousins who I, I really got along with and they live down in well, one of them now lives in London but they're both originally from Cornwall and then I had to say goodbye and leave early to travel to Grimsby to wrestle somebody who you know me and my dad used to love Jeff Jarrett like there was one wrestler that we both agreed on when I was a kid it was Jeff Jarrett when he was doing slap nuts in like WCW and that's era of his career and using the guitar like and, and now I'm getting to wrestle him and it was just a bit it was so bizarre like here's the worst day of my life and here's possibly one of the best in you know, meeting in the same 24-hour period um were you in your head, like, because of everything that had gone on? Would, did you think, were you still at your best? Like, is there, like, if it was a different day, would you would you have been different? No, I, I, I credit that. Like, this is why I get, I can get into this later, but why, where the nickname The Professional came from, and it's things like that that I'm very, 
I adapt to situations like that well. Like I'm able to just put things out of my mind and just go, okay, wait. And especially with wrestling because that's my escape. And like I'm not, I'm not Nathan Irwin out there, I'm Nathan Cruz, and I've got a job to do. I'm getting paid to do that job, and I've agreed to do this. So even if I was in my own head, which I want, but if I did get in my own head, my mentality would have been, well, you shouldn't have agreed to this, Nathan. You knew what you had going on, but no, you've you put yourself into this situation, so deal with it. And uh, so no, I, I was I went out and performed. I, I felt as as best as I was going to on any given night. Um, I mean, it it would it made 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 me feel a lot better when I come back as well, knowing that because that was a question in my mind. Don't get me wrong. Like after the match, like I hope that went as well as he hoped because maybe it, you know maybe I'm not aware of it, but maybe I was off because of what happened earlier that day. But I came back and Jeff sat there on the, the sofa and I knocking his door, coming to see him, asking ask him for feedback on the match. And before I could say anything, he went, you've been doing this a while, haven't you? And I said, oh, eight years. And he was like, you can tell because you're really fucking good. And I was like, well, I'll take that. That was like the best, like that meant a lot to me, you know, because I, I respect the hell out of Jeff Jarrett. And that those words coming from him, like, what, what else could you ask for? And, you know, like it really was such a contrast from that. I'm thinking, you know, after, on that drive home, that was when my emotion, like, because that was when I was like, I can just be with my thoughts now. Like, this has been a very mental day, <laughs> a very mental day. Yeah, I guess um, your grandma must have been looking down and thinking, wow, you know, he's made me proud. If if someone like Jeff Jarrett is saying that on the day of her awake, then there's something that you're doing right, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think, and that was like, I always pray before I go out because I'm, a, I'm, I do, I'm, I'm faithful in that regard. Like, I do, I do have a faith in God. Um, and it, yeah, I was in my prayer that day. It was like for my grandma, like, and uh, yeah, and it's cool to know that she she probably did, like she was always so happy for me to do wrestling as well, like because she knew that I wanted to do that. Like she was never a fan of wrestling herself, but she always thought it was cool, and she got to see me on TV like once or twice do the odd appearance, and she yeah uh, she was like when I did the the first time I did a whole city hall little things like that or did like some of the bigger arena the bigger arena in Hull like she was aware of it she was there when I had my first WWE tryout things like that like so it was cool like like she was always supportive of me and I think she knows that I wouldn't I, she wouldn't have wanted me to not go and do something that could have been a great opportunity for me to lead on to you know future things and you know what happened to Global Force I don't know, but you know, to this day, I still got a decent relationship with Jeff Jarrett. I know that, like, um, Karen often will comment on some of my stuff or things like that. And I've reached out to Jeff before, like when I've had US tours, and he's helped me actually find a booking with this with a company and things like that. Like, it's just cool, man. I had an amazing life experience. Um, I want to in a moment. I want to get on to the you know the professional kind of uh, persona, and we'll, we'll get on to that in a second. I also want to chat about WWE. But first of all, when you say about you know you've got the good connection with Jeff Jarrett and also with Nick Aldis, um, obviously with UK guys like Bram going out to end, uh, NWA, do you ever think that that might be a an option for you? Because I think Nathan Cruz would be fantastic in that uh, in that kind of. Yeah, it's, it's something I hear a lot um, because, I mean, some of my biggest influences and my, you know, the style of wrestling I love comes from that, you know. Tully, one of my moves is called Thanks Tully because I'm so heavily influenced by that era of talent and that style of wrestling. 
And it's a match that's been asked for quite a lot on social media between me and Nick. I remember some fan even made a graphic before because they really want to see me challenge for the NWA title. And good God, if there was a championship belt that I could ever dream of holding, that would be it without a shadow of a doubt. But um, just look at the face value of me and Nick Aldis. Now, we both have a very similar character, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he wears a three-piece suit, so do I. You, know, I mean, you look at our characters are very, very similar. And it, from a business standpoint for NWA, well, we've already got a British guy in a three-piece suit who, who you know, tells good stories in the ring and looks like a superstar. So what do we need Nathan Cruz for? Do you get uh-huh. what? Like, no, that, I role, totally. that role has already been taken. Um, and I'm not saying that I can't do any other role because like, the one thing that I, another reason that I credit my career longevity to is that I've always had the mentality of that I want to be able to do anything. You, know, like, you need a guy to do a comedy match, can do it. You need a guy to be a heel, babyface, yep, I can do it. A wrestler, an old school British rounds match, yep, I can do it. Like I wanted to always be that, so that isn't me saying that that's the limit of my skills, but that's also what I'm best known for and what I'm you know, like best at is being that working gobshite heel who dress smart and stuff like that. They've already got that with Nick. So I can't. I I honestly look at that and think, yeah, maybe that opportunity may not come there because of that reason. Um, don't get me wrong; it's still a match that I'd love to have with Nick for the NWA title because I think we'd do. I think we'd have a really stellar match for it, wherever it may take place, whether it be the NWA or whether it be over here, just with the NWA title on the line. But um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that to answer your question, that's it. Like, I just don't think. I think they've got Nick Aldis, so that because of that, they don't need Nathan Cruz. No, that's totally understandable. Um, but yeah, moving on from that with the three-piece suits and everything, tell me about uh, how you went from the show stealer to the professional. Was that like a was it a shoot thing? Like, was you kind of saying, you know, like, you know, I am a step above, or like, what what was the what was the gig? What what made you go into that? It came, it came from a few different places. Um, I mean, firstly, I'm I'll take us right back to 2010 when I first started working for for Brian, and I mentioned at the start I had a shoot job before he took me on full time. So one show that we did, I think may have been Grimsby, actually, because I left work early at like seven o'clock to get to Grimsby for eight. So I could quickly get changed and go into the ring. And then after I obviously got changed back and now I was still in my my work clothes, which was like a a dress shirt, waistcoat, trousers. Drew McDonald said, uh, he just pointed me out and said, I like that you've dressed smart. I think we all should dress like that, to be honest. Like, you look like somebody. You look like a professional wrestler. Like, you look important. And that just stuck with me. And I, Ric Flair is a huge influence, as, as are the entire four horsemen. So it's just like, well, that's kind of what I want my character to be like. And also, Drew saying this is a good thing. If there's anybody to listen to, you know, he's the UK talent scout for the WWE. So I'm going to take that on board. And so from that day forward, unless I had to help out with the ring on, like, the camps and stuff like that, um, I always arrived in a suit from that day onwards so from 19 it's something i've been doing for 10 years and uh you know as i've been able to fortunately find more money i've been able to get nicer suits and nicer ties and stuff and then obviously I, recently i started doing the eldridge knot and things like that which people are remembering as i've even had people call it the nathan cruz knot it's been around for forever but thank you um but the the name kind of came from the fact that i was making like an envy this time, like, for something that I was working on, a little project, and one of the reoccurring themes that kept coming around, I remember Zach Gibson saying it, Jim Smallman and uh, RJ Singh all saying, he's a consummate professional. 
He's always there on time. He always looks the part. He'll always do the job that's asked for him. He's never selfish in that regard. Like, he'll, whatever you need him to do, he'll do it. And that just kept coming back when we was editing it together. Like, every, and it, the guy who was editing it, Sam Abraham, said, everyone's saying that you're, like, a professional. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of cool. And, like, at the time, like, I'd spoke, funnily enough, to Marty Scale at a progress show, one of the last ones he did before he went off to ROH. And as I said, I need to pick your brain, like, I feel like I've run the course of the show still. I had a lot of, this had just come off the back of like me not getting the WWE deal. And, um, and one of the things that Michael Cole told me there was we can't call you the show stealer because of Shawn Michaels being the show stopper. So you need to come up with something else if we're going to say anything on commentary about you. So already that was in my mind about trying to find something else. And then, um, that had been coming back to me, the professional thing. And then, like I say, I had this, uh, this confidence dip in myself in around 2016-17. And I was looking at some of the time, like, I'm, I, I was looking at myself in the mirror kind of saying, like, I'm not the show stealer anymore. I'm not going out and stealing the show um, because it's not what the audience wants at the moment. They want in a more high-spot type of match. It's not the type of wrestler I am, nor the type of wrestler I necessarily want to be. So I need to find something. What is it that I do? And then... That name just kept coming back. The, you know, he's the consummate professional. He's the professional. He's the professional. So, and to say that they, that came from the boys saying that, I was like, well, that's a, a huge standpoint because you know, if there's one thing I work for, it's the respect of my peers. So, okay, let's Bye, that. Let's. Like, I knew that the origin was coming to an end, and I was at that time told that I would be going on a singles run of progress at first. So, all right, let's be the professional let's that let's see how we go with that and that's kind of like where that came from um and then, and then the reason why i ran with it and and you know still go by that name to this day no oh, that's awesome i uh it, it's really cool how you're kind of ahead of the curve as well because like obviously you've said that you you wore the suit as like a, a respect for the old for the like drew mcdonald things like that but um also, if a fan sees you and sees you in that suit, you're you're not in your wrestling gear, but you're still in your persona's gear. It's so awesome. Like, um, I, you know, I always get flack for it because um, the guys make fun of me. But like, I have Reese Ryan attire for outside of the ring, like like how you say like a um like a big hockey LA hockey jersey and you know and like baggy pants. I've never dreamed of wearing them in, in everyday life. Yeah. Like, if, I don't know anything about ice hockey, but I just know Reese Ryan would love it. Uh, so like, you know, cause, cause I base it a lot on fever. So, um, so yeah, like that, that's really cool. Like uh, completely just Im- immersing yourself kind of like how, how all the old school guys like Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan, you know, like, yeah. Like still... Sting did the same thing. If you ever, there was a documentary I watched on Sting years ago and he's a huge influence of mine. And he, um, he said they used to show up to shows in like lycra tights, bum bags, big muscle vests. They looked like wrestlers when they walk like you'd you'd walk past they walk past them on the street by they're not your average dude. Do you know what I mean? Like you you're constantly working. Undertaker, he'd he'll tell you like in in interviews that he travelled predominantly in black throughout the nineteen nineties. Like that's all he wore black black shirts black jeans he said that on the broken school podcast recently there is there is an attire outside of this because you're constantly trying to especially back then there was you know kfab times but to me like I, I like wearing suits as well like i enjoy the look and 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 stuff like that but yeah it's just uh t- 
to me it's that mark of, of like people remember it people remember the guy that showed up in a three-piece suit with a, a knot that's tied really weirdly well if i'm making a last impression the nine times out of ten if you're going to remember the guy wearing it you'll remember that guy's name you're going to speak about that person and that's what i want at the end of the day you know, like I, I want people to have a lasting impression of me just before we move on, Nathan, as well, um, I, I hate to stop you there. I know that we're, we've got so much more awesome things to talk about, but uh, we've run out of time, I'm afraid. So this will be the first ever two-part podcast on the VIP Lounge, ladies and gentlemen. So tune in um, for episode two. It'll be uploaded on all the same platforms as this one. So we'll see you very soon. I've been Reese Ryan. I'm sat with the, uh, one of the best in British independent pro wrestling, Nathan Cruz and I'll see you on part two.